0: Welcome to No Better Death, the podcast that knows while you can die no better death than your own, that doesn't mean we can't take a look for the unusual and the noteworthy in the deaths of others. Each episode, will take an in-depth look at some out-of-the-ordinary deaths and the events surrounding them. This show will contain explicit language and graphic details. I'm your host, Sick Grayson. Greetings, boils and ghouls. I'm the Crypt Keeper. (laughs) Ha <laughs> All right, so, John Kassir, I am not. Uh, how's it going, y'all? Uh, we are in the month of October, creeping closer to Halloween every day, and I love it. In, in our house, Halloween is the big time of year. Uh, Christmas, or crimbus as I call it, is nice and all, but the Graysons are a Halloween family. Uh, my wife and I got married on Halloween, and this year will mark 13 years of matrimony for Beth and I. Uh, Just a word of advice, if you plan on having kids, get married the day before Halloween. If you get married on Halloween and have kids later, you'll never get to celebrate your anniversary on your anniversary. Your anniversary will be spent taking the kids to trick-or-treat and stopping at every gas station along the way while in vain trying to pull a toddler out of the world's most complicated costume before he pisses himself. That's just, that's what happens. You know, we weren't really planning on kids when we got married, Uh, but then it happened, like by the next Halloween, uh, we had our daughter, so we've never really had the opportunity to celebrate in any sort of grand way on our anniversary, but uh, one day, one day they'll be old enough to go out on their own, and then we're taking back Halloween for the grown-ups around here. Yeah, it's a fun time of year, my favorite time of year. Uh, We've had the yard uh, partially decorated since the second or third week of September. My wife puts a lot of work into decorating for Halloween, and I act like I put in as much work, but mostly just help her reach things she's too short to get to and run cables and stuff. Um, We we sort of roll out decorations in waves. Uh, First we do a graveyard and the big inflatables. Uh, And then a little later, we'll do hanging things, window decorations, stuff like that. Just throughout the month, we sprinkle more into the mix. And then on the day of Halloween, we put out the stuff that's most likely to get stolen. Uh, We've got some like cackling clown headlights. We run down the driveway, some bats that fly around in a circle, giant jumping spider. All that goes out on Halloween. Uh, I mean, we do it big. Uh, We probably have six to eight tubs of Halloween decorations and a total of two tubs for every other holiday combined. Uh, It seems a little disproportionate, I guess. Uh, We can cram the entirety of of the the rest of the year into two tubs, but Halloween is like a quarter of the garage. Feels like we're the weird family, even in a state as liberal as Colorado. It seems like we're the only ones on our street that decorate, and even in our neighborhood, there's really only maybe four or five houses. Uh, it's kind of sad, you know. I mean, people, a lot more people go big for Christmas, but I think Halloween's just as important. Uh, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's weird. Maybe I'm what happens when the goth kid you went to high school with never outgrows the phase. You know, but uh, it's kind of disappointing that people don't decorate for Halloween like they do for other holidays. It'd be awesome if they did, Uh, but our house definitely stands out like a sore thumb uh, this time of year. And I say, like, if you don't decorate for Halloween, you shouldn't get to trick or treat at my house. I'm handing out prime candy here, whole candy bars, the pinnacle of trick or treating. Every kid on my street comes to my house for some free shit, but did they decorate? Fuck no. Half these little shits don't even have a costume. I had a kid come to my house twice in one night a couple years ago. He had on jeans, a flannel shirt, and a straw hat. Said he was a scarecrow. The only thing that wasn't a normal outfit was the hat. That's it. This kid was, was wearing a hat for a costume and thought he deserved not one full-size candy bar, but two full-size candy bars, plus a handful or two of the loose candy in the bowl. Get the fuck out of here and come back with a proper costume. Speaking of costumes, uh, the wife and I don't yet know what we're doing for hours. Uh, our son wants to be a T-Rex. Uh, his current obsession is dinosaurs. Uh, I've watched Jurassic World Fallen Fallen Kingdom like five times this week. Uh, He wants to be a T-Rex. And my daughter wants to be an anime character of some kind. Not sure who. Probably Naruto. Uh, That's her big thing lately. So, I don't know. We're still figuring it out. We're getting down to the wire. We should have had this done by like the end of August or September. But we, for some reason... You know, we decorate early, we plan the candy, we plan where we're going to trigger or treat. We do all that early, but then wait till the last minute uh, to pull out our costumes. That's pretty handy, though. She's made some really sick costumes in the past for the kids. Uh, last year, year before last, year before last, she made my son a Pac-Man costume, like 3D side view of Pac-Man. And then my daughter was a ghost. She was blinky, I think. Uh, But they did it both colors. On one side, she was red. On the other side, she was blue and white, like when they're about to get eaten. And it was set up to where, like, my daughter was facing one way. Like, when she was blue, my son would run behind her, and it would look like he was chasing her. But then she could turn around, and they go the other way with her red side showing chasing him. So he's got to run away from the ghost. It was pretty cool. Uh, and then one year with my son's red hair, uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to have him be Chucky. So she like custom handmade, a Chucky doll outfit, did the scars in the makeup and everything, and then built a good guy's doll box. It was so sick. I'll have to, I'll throw it up on the Facebook. It's gotta be on her Facebook somewhere. So I'll go through and find, uh, some pictures of, the Halloween costumes from the past and put them up on the No Better Death Facebook page. I think you guys would get a kick out of it. So anyway, yeah, we're in October. I'm stoked for Halloween. And if you listen to this show, you're probably the kind of person that gets stoked for Halloween. So uh, just a few weeks away, man. Go Go get your candy. Go get your costumes. Put out your decorations. And don't fucking come to my house if you don't have a costume. I don't really have anything for the headlines this week. Uh, I've just been kind of busy lately. Uh, I haven't had a lot of time to do research for the headlines, Uh, stuff that's in the news like I've been trying to do the last few episodes. I've had some extra kid-watching duties the last couple weekends. Uh, My wife uh, promotes for an independent rap label, and they have a really big concert coming up in Denver, Uh, so she's been out and about helping with that. Uh, looks like fun work uh, hitting up bars and haunted houses and, and whatnot. looks like a fun time I was here watching the kids uh, but that's that's always good with me because yeah, you know, I'm at work all day and then I work on the show or I make music or until recently I was in college and never really have a lot of time to spend with the kids so I don't really mind spending more time with them in fact I love it but it does cut into the amount of time I have to do research for the show so No headlines this week. Uh, I did read one thing, though, that I thought was kind of cool. Supposedly, the first human uh, to ever live to 200 years old is probably already alive. Uh, According to Professor Stuart Kim of Stanford University, he says that the first people that are going to live to be 200 years old are already alive. Uh, he thinks right now there is a kid or kids, a toddler, a baby, somebody, uh, probably multiple somebodies alive right now that will live to be bicentennials. Um, it's been speculated that the first person to live to 150 is alive and could be as old as in their 50s, but 200s a pretty bold statement. Uh, Professor Kim speculates that in the coming years, we'll be able to figure out how to change our genetic coding, some way to edit our genome, to program ourselves to allow life past the current longest life record, which is 122. So it's not necessarily health-related or tied to any sort of health-related medical advancements. He's positing that we're going to find a way to hack the system that is life and death. We'll find some way to change the zeros and ones in our DNA that tell us when to die so we can double the human lifespan. I think that's awesome. I am all for finding ways to get us to live longer. I've always said if I could pick one superpower, it would be immortality. Fuck flying, walking through walls, or being invisible. I'd rather be immortal. Just go along for the ride and see what happens. But I do know that... I wouldn't want to be alive for the upcoming 200 years. Anyone who's alive for that long during this time is going to watch us run out of water. They're going to watch the oceans rise and drown the coasts. They're going to see wild changes in weather patterns and uncountable natural disasters. Global warming, melting ice caps, hole in the ozone, Pacific garbage patch, water shortage, food shortage, land shortage, and dozens of wars. In the long run, I think humanity will figure it out and things will be okay. Uh, Don't know if it's too late for our planet or not, so this utopia we eventually reach could very well happen in space, in Europa or Titan or some shit. I don't know. I don't know when we're going to get our shit together as a species and start doing things the way we need to be doing, doing them. But I do know that the next 200 years... Probably gonna be a shit show. Not sure I'd want to be around for it. Uh, I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. What I mean, anything really. Uh, hit us up on social media. Uh, no better death at Gmail. No better death on Facebook. Wherever we're at, Twitter. No better death uh, what one. What do you think about us living to be 200 years old? Is it gonna happen? Will it not happen? Would you want it to happen? Uh, hit us up with your thoughts. Uh, also, uh, any stories you want me to talk about on the show, any death related stories you have from your personal life, ways you want to die, ways you don't want to die, whatever you got that's show related, uh, contact us on the social media, send us an email. The more stuff you give me, the more stuff I can put into the show. Uh, so yeah, I thought the 200 years old thing was pretty cool. Um, All right, all right, all right. So, moving on to the stories. Uh, If you do follow the Twitter or the Facebook, then you saw a few days ago I posted up a picture of Alanis Morissette. And why a picture of God from Dogma? Because this week's stories are ironic. A little too ironic. And I mean real irony, not like in the song. Most of the shit in that song wasn't ironic. None of those stories contained irony. Uh, The events described in that song were unfortunate, Uh, they were coincidental, but they were not ironic. There is some pretty good irony going on in some of the stories I have for you today. Uh, For example, how about a man uh, trying to demonstrate how strong a window is by running into it, expecting to bounce off the glass, but instead falling to his demise? Yeah, we'll get to that story. But first, I want to tell you the tale of James Heselden. James Heselden, AKA Jimmy, grew up in Leeds, England. At the age of 15, he dropped out of school to work as a laborer and a coal miner. He lost his coal mining job due to redundancies that followed the 1985 miners' strike, and he used his redundancy money to rent a workshop. Uh, you're probably wondering what redundancy means in this context. In the mining industry, redundancy is basically when you lose your job due to technological improvements, market changes, or diminishing coal reserves. Uh, workers who become redundant receive what is is—it's basically a severance package based on how many years of service they've put in. Heselden received a large enough redundancy payment to rent a workshop where he started a sandblasting business. The sandblasting business was okay, but it was his next move that would make him a multi-millionaire. He developed and patented a collapsible wire mesh and fabric container called the Hesco Bastion. When filled with earth or concrete, this created a barrier that was used for fighting erosion, building flood walls, and creating blast barriers for military purposes. Before the Bastion, militaries built walls out of sandbags, uh, sandbags were also the most commonly used solution to build emergency flood walls. The Bastion was quicker to assemble, far more portable, easier to ship, and more durable. It was a revolutionary product in its industry. Uh, these things have been used everywhere from reinforcing the levees in New Orleans to being sent to Afghanistan to protect troops. He landed multiple contracts for very large orders, and this made him a lot of money. So much money that he was able to become one of the foremost philanthropists in England, or in simpler terms, he donated a lot of money to charity. So much so that he caught the attention of the Queen, who made him a member of the Order of the British Empire. He was knighted by the Queen, he donated that much money to charity, one of the highest honors you can achieve in British society. That's not bad for a kid who dropped out of school at 15. Self-made man who gives millions to charity, never had a single scandal, not not one. Oh, Jimmy grabbed my ass in the break room that one time. Nothing. By all accounts, he was one of the nicest, sweetest people you'd ever meet. I'd be rooting for the guy, but if we're talking about him on this show, then we already know it doesn't end well for Jimmy. As most business-minded people do, Jimmy decided to expand his portfolio and eventually bought out the American-based Segway Incorporated, the maker of Segways. You know, the two-wheel scooter things that look like a hoverboard with handlebars? He bought that company about 10 years after it was founded, and as a fan of its products, frequently took rides on a Segway, specifically the X2 off-road model. On the morning of September 26, 2010, Jimmy told his wife he was going to feed the fish. That was the last time she saw him. After feeding his fish, he decided to take a Segway ride down a nearby sidewalk that overlooked the river near his house. Hesselden ascended a steep incline and was then seen reversing to the side to make room for a man who was approaching with his dog. So he's on the X2. This is the big off-road model. He's probably taking up the whole sidewalk. It's got big tires and like mud flaps and stuff on it. It's like the super value plus deluxe version. So he sees a guy walking his dog and says, Hey, I should be courteous and get out of this guy's way. He's moving over so this guy can play through. Unfortunately, Jimmy didn't pay enough attention to what was behind him or what wasn't behind him when he reversed off the sidewalk remember when i said this sidewalk overlooked a a river well an overlook implies a cliff jimmy backed off the cliff and he and his segue fell 80 feet bouncing off the rocks and earth below and into the river itself by the time mr Christie, the guy in the distance who was walking his dog that jimmy had moved over for By the time that guy got there, Jimmy was already dead, having received multiple blunt force injuries to the back, head, and chest during his 80-foot fall. The coroner's report, witnesses' report, and investigation of the Segway all pointed to the same conclusion. There was no foul play, the Segway was in perfect working order, and Jimmy had simply not paid attention to his surroundings and went over the edge, inadvertently killing himself. The man who had purchased the company just nine months earlier had died on a Segway due to operator error. In 2013, the company was purchased by Summit Strategic Investments, who attempted to sue several Chinese competitors for international patent infringement. Ninebot, one of the companies sued, would go on to buy Segway from Summit Strategic Investments in 2015. As of 2018, they are planning to move production from New Hampshire to China and release several new models of the product. And that is the story of the ironic death of multi-millionaire businessman Jimmy Hesselden, owner of Segway. Just didn't watch where he was going. I can't imagine how that must feel, like when you realize you're falling like that, like in the second where he, his brain said, oh shit, I just rolled off a cliff. I mean, he was he was dead by the time he hit the ground, but for a few seconds there, ah, oh, it just—it just gives me a bad feeling in my gut. Surprise, followed by shock, followed by a few seconds of excruciating pain, and then nothing. It just—it makes me queasy thinking about it. Like, it, how much time would I need to shit myself? Is a 80-foot fall off a cliff? long enough for me to thoroughly shit myself before I hit the ground and the person in our next story didn't do any better I guess that's kind of implied by the nature of the show right like I don't see there ever being a time in any story that makes it on to here and it it ends with but you know it all worked out in the end and uh, it was big American happy fun time Coca-Cola for everyone um not really the vibe of the show Uh, In fact, the subject of our next story died in a way that has many parallels with the death of Jimmy Hesselden. Uh, Next person I'm going to tell you about is Gary Hoy. Now, when you first hear that 39-year-old Gary Hoy was not only an award-winning senior partner at one of the largest law firms in Toronto and a degree-holding engineer, it sounds impressive. But by the end of the story, you really come to doubt his knowledge of engineering as well as his common sense. And The award he won? That was a posthumous Darwin Award. Uh, In case you don't know what the Darwin Awards are, they're given to people who display massive stupidity or die in stupid ways and in doing so, uh, help clean the gene pool up a little bit, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, This story also gives us a new word. That's right, kids. I not only aim to entertain, but also to educate. The word today is defenestration, which comes from the Latin de, meaning out or away from, and fenestra, which means window or opening, and is defined as the act of throwing someone or something out of a window. When one throws oneself out of a window, it is called auto-defenestration. You know, I, it, sometimes it's hard to tell if I should bury the lead or not on these stories. For most, it's better to save the really fucked up parts for last to keep you interested in the story. But every now and then, it's better to just be up front and grab your attention right away. And I, what's gonna grab your attention more than a guy accidentally, but kind of on purpose, throwing himself out a 24th story window? Yeah. You ever think you're having a bad day? Just remember, you haven't thrown yourself out a 24-floor window yet, so it can't be that bad. Gary Hoy can't say the same, because he can't say anything, because he's dead, because he threw himself off the 24th floor of a building. Gary Hoy was a well-respected senior partner at Toronto-based law firm Holden Day Wilson. Sounds like a like a 70s fan kind of an R&B, but ladies and gentlemen, Holden Day Wilson, coming to the stage. The firm was rather successful due to the performance of lawyers such as Hoy, and at the time of the story, they had recently completed a merger that made it one of the largest law firms in Toronto. At its height, Holden Day Wilson employed over 90 lawyers. The day of July 9, 1993 was like any other for the 21,000 people who worked in the six towers and shopping pavilion of the Toronto Dominion Center complex. Gary Hoy was on the 24th floor of the 56 story tall Toronto Dominion bank tower located at 66 Wellington Street West. He was escorting a group of prospective legal interns around the building when he decided to demonstrate how strong the windows were. His coworkers say this was something he did all the time, so as unusual as it might have been, it wasn't unusual for Gary. He took a run at a window and slammed into it as hard as he could, bouncing off as he always did. Whether for fun, or maybe to reinforce his point, or maybe just out of sheer stupidity, This time, Gary took a second run at the window. And as usual, as predicted, the glass, once again, did not break. But it did pop out of the frame, sending the sheet of glass and Gary 24 floors to their death in the courtyard below. The office was packed. Dozens, if not hundreds of people saw this. Of course, Hoy, as a professional engineer should have known better, literally should have known better. As many engineers who've reviewed this case, including structural engineer Bob Greer, have have said something to the effect, and I'll just quote Bob Greer, I don't know of any building code in the world that would allow a 160-pound man to run up against glass and withstand it. Another way to say it, any engineer knows a man that heavy, which isn't even very heavy at all for a man, should have known the window frames are not designed to handle that kind of impact. Regardless of how unbreakable the glass inside the window is, the frame is still only as strong as the frame. I mean, that uh, and I guess Gary Hoy didn't take this into consideration ran into the window to show how it wouldn't break, and fell the fuck out of it. I wasn't able to find any information on whether Hoy had a family or any loved ones left to deal with his death, uh, but it did affect his employer. Between attempting to recover from Hoy's very public and embarrassing death and aligning the business after the merger, Holden Day-Wilson lost 30 senior partners by 1996 and was unable to continue operations. The law firm closed its doors in 96. Also in 1996, Hoy was awarded a Darwin Award. Uh, since his death, his story has been featured on Mythbusters, One Thousand Ways to Die, and Curious and Unusual Deaths. It was also recounted in the book Bay Street, a novel, and was reenacted by Joseph Fiennes in the 2006 movie The Darwin Award. I mean, I guess it wasn't all bad then, right? He did get some kind of award. He His story's been on TV shows, movies, and in books. I mean, how many of our deaths are going to be recounted on a TV show, let alone three of them? He wasn't planning on dying, and it's probably not the way he wanted to die, but he at least he got some kind of notoriety out of it, right? I mean, that's gotta that's better than nothing. That's better than like, oh, he lived to be 90, and we stuffed his ass in a box and buried it. And i've said it on here i don't know how many times but heights scare the fuck out of me if i'm that high up in a building i won't even go near the window it freaks me out i went up in the gateway arch in st louis once and thought i was gonna have a heart attack i've never been on a plane i've never bungee jumped heights are not my thing condolences to this guy's family and all but what did he think was gonna happen everything goes wrong at some point And every time it goes right, that just means you're one step closer to it going wrong. Why tempt fate? Why push that button? What feeling or reward could he have possibly gotten out of doing this? What, what was worth it? I mean, if I ever ran into the window once, I'd be like, okay, that's it. That was my one, everybody gets one. That's it. Next time I run into this window, I'm fucking dying and I would have never done it again. This guy, according to his coworkers, did it all the time you'll never hear about sick falling out a window the only story you will ever hear about me is man lives long life sitting safely on the ground while wearing a full suit of armor and a scuba tank just for good measure that's me that's the story of sick or a uh, podcast host tells tony todd to go fuck himself after securing everything in the house like devon sawa final destination style that's my story that's my story never this never a gary hoy story uh, one article I read left it with at this. Our advice is to simply apply the same rule to architecture as you do to computers. Don't ever bet your life on Windows not crashing. And as an IT guy, I can confirm that that line is hilarious. Ha, Larry, us you No. Know, a lot of people say it's annoying when a host eats on a podcast. I'm kind of I'm feeling snacky. Snacky. Got that goldfish mix, cheddar and parmesan. All right, with Jimmy Heseldon and Gary Hoy out of the way, going to move on to the five fast facts about death. One. You're more likely to be killed by a champagne cork than by poisonous spiders. Are spiders poisonous or are they venomous? There is a difference. Venom has to be injected into the bloodstream to cause damage, whereas poison can be effective regardless of how it's put into the body. I'll assume my source knew what they're talking about, spiders being poisonous, but not as deadly as a rogue champagne cork. Two. Via the bubonic plague, aka the Black Death, fleas have killed more people than all the wars of man combined. Three, Henry Ford caught Thomas Edison's last breath in a bottle. What the hell, for? What's he? What was he gonna do with it? That sounds like some weird Aleister Crowley type shit. Like, what? Uh, why, why would you want to catch somebody's last breath? Four. In Italy, it is illegal to make coffins out of anything but wood and nutshells. Nutshells. Yeah, can I get the deluxe model in pistachio shell? Yeah, just the shells. Like, let's get a nice beige motif going on for this thing I'm gonna be buried in forever and ever and ever. Five, 60% of adults don't make a will. They just leave everyone behind to argue over their shit Shit that after arguing and cutting off family members and not talking to them for decades will just end up sitting in the attic until they die. And then their kids are just going to throw that shit in a Goodwill anyway. Alright, our next ironic death opens at a funeral. That's right, we're opening with this lady already being dead. Except she is not already dead and I'm going to butcher her name. It's Russian. Vigilu Mukhametsi Anav. Anav. I don't, I don't know. Anav is all I got on the end of that. I'm really not trying to be a smartass. I just don't know how to pronounce that. So we're gonna call her Sally. That would be way easier than just disrespectfully messing up her name, which I'm sure entails a very rich history and heritage. Uh, so I'm just gonna call her Sally. I believe the date on this was uh, sometime in July 2011. Sally, 49, began complaining of chest pains one night. Her husband rushed her to a doctor near their home in Kazan City, Russia. By the time they got to the doctor, Sally had lost consciousness and was declared dead upon arrival. The doctor said she probably, probably... You don't go to a doctor to hear probably. You you can assume your own probably's, your chest hurts, you probably have a heart problem, or gas. However, there's a big difference between the two. We go to doctors for definitely's, not probably's. It's their job to know. They went to school to know. They charge insane prices for care because they're supposed to know. But apparently this asshole didn't know. Said she probably died from a heart attack. Sally's husband decided not to have her embalmed. It's more costly, and if being buried locally, it's not required by Russian law. And that's great. That's some common sense in burying people. I think requiring certain kinds of caskets and embalming and all this shit in America is unnecessary. It hinders the natural process, from the ground into the ground. Except when embalmed and locked in a metal box, we aren't going into the ground. We're just burying garbage. We turn our dead into the universe's creepiest time capsules. I can only imagine what the aliens that come here long after we've been wiped off the planet are going to think when they find the first few coffins. They're going to be like, Hey, they buried something over here. Ooh, I wonder what it is. Maybe, it, maybe it's clues. Maybe it's treasure. Let's see. Oh, shit. It's a body. It's a body. It's a body. Okay. Okay, we found another one. What's in that one? Maybe it has... Oh, fuck, it's another body. What is wrong with these people? Don't they know the body's supposed to rot and nourish the plants that nourish the body that nourishes the plants and so on? Instead, they stuffed their dead with toxic chemicals and buried them in, in what looks like an escape pod. Alright, sorry, off on a tangent. So anyway, this lady probably died of a heart attack, and her husband decided, just we'll put her in a coffin and bury her, that's all that's required, we're gonna do that. So they put her in a, in a casket and scheduled the funeral for two days later. Uh, they planned the funeral, they put the body out, family and friends show up, and everyone's walking by, paying their respects, saying prayers, normal funeral stuff. But at some point, Sally's eyelids started fluttering, and she jolted upright in her coffin, screaming upon realizing that she was in a coffin and being prayed for. I'd probably scream, too, if I woke up in a coffin at my own funeral and didn't know what was going on. Uh, So she started freaking out. Family members put her in a car and rushed her to the hospital to get her checked out. But she only lasted about 12 minutes before she died for really reals. Uh, due to a heart attack caused by the shock of realizing she was about to be buried alive. This time, doctors made sure she was dead by giving her a double tap to the head. No, I, I, I kid. Uh, they just did normal doctor stuff to make sure she didn't have a heartbeat. Uh, and then, at some point, they resumed the funeral, and her husband was last reported as trying to sue the first doctor that mispronounced her death, but details were never released about what happened with the lawsuit so she went to bed dead and woke up alive you can't go to bed dead that shit would be redundant that's some scary movie three uh uh, 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 any scary movie three fans out there what was up during the two days that she was unconscious though that would be what i want to know she died at night. The funeral was two days later, which means she was what? She was just laid up in a two-day coma. Uh, from I mean, it was probably some sort of cardiac event. If she so easily had a heart attack when she woke up, yeah, she probably had like a smaller cardiac event, and then her body just needed to sleep for two days. I mean, how would you feel if you woke up at your own funeral? Would it be enough to give you a heart attack? Uh, that's an unfortunate situation. Almost as bad as escaping the electric chair only to be electrocuted to death on a metal toilet. In 1989, convicted murderer Michael Godwin had his death sentence reduced to life in prison. Probably a relief, right? You think you're going to the chair, they're going to do the... They pack your ass with Vaseline and cotton so you don't shit everywhere when they fry you. Wet sponge on the head to keep your eyes from popping out. That whole thing. And the judge is like, you know what? Just sit in a box every day until you die. Great, got got a little TV, got your headphones, you got some ramen noodles, you're doing good. Well, he was doing good until one day, and I don't know why he thought all these things went together. Godwin was sitting naked on the metal toilet in his cell attempting to fix his headphones so he could watch TV. It sounds like whatever kind of weird setup this was, he was either required to use headphones with the TV so, you know, so the prison wasn't filled with the sounds of hundreds of inmates' televisions blaring at the same time. Or maybe the TV didn't have speakers, it only had headphones, I don't know. But dude was naked on a metal toilet messing with the TV and the headphones. At some point during that day, he was found dead, slumped on the toilet with his teeth lips and mouth severely burned. At some point during this naked, very tweaker-like repair attempt, he put the wire of headphones into his mouth and electrocuted himself to death. How could that happen? You know, the the human body is very resistant to electricity, but only at the skin level. That's why we can survive a lightning strike or a defribul... We can survive a lightning strike or a defibrillator without dying. Our skin keeps the damage to a minimum, but our squishy, wet internals? Not so resistant to electricity. Whatever was up with the TV-slash-headphone situation was probably a grounding issue, and electricity was traveling through the TV or headphones in a way that it shouldn't have been. And while the voltage wasn't enough to register uh, when someone touched it with, you know, outer skin stuff that has that resistance, Uh, Probably couldn't tell there was any kind of charge going through there, but it was enough. Once he stuck it in his mouth, it fried his ass. He avoided the electric chair, but died on the electric commode. Now before you start feeling bad for the guy, remember he was in prison and had been on death row. Uh, He robbed a woman at knife point and went to jail for that, and while on work release He beat another woman to death with an iron, like an iron your clothes iron. So fuck that guy. He got what he deserved, but really crazy way to go. You're trying to, and I know, I know how it happens. I've I've broken plenty of headphone wires. You put it in your mouth and you like chew on it to get the plastic or the rubber on the outside off so you can actually get to the wire and fix it or tape it or do whatever you have to do. I understand how it ended up in his mouth don't understand why the hell he was naked on the toilet. You just chill in your, stu- your cell, naked all day, hanging out on the toilet, hang out with my wang out on the commode, fixing electronics. And this is where I'd insert an ad if this show had more than four listeners, but I can pretend I have an ad, I guess, right? Would well, that make me seem more legit if I just pretend an ad. Are you too fat to leave your home? Maybe you're agoraphobic and the thought of going outside makes your skin feel like it has a million ants crawling on it. Perhaps you're just lazy and don't feel like going shopping. If any of these sound like you, you'll love Shit in a Box. That's right, Shit in a Box. The monthly subscription service that delivers to your door the bare minimum necessities for you to not die in your home screaming and covered in filth. What's in this month's box? How about 13 MREs? Mmm, says chicken, but tastes like dirty rags. What else? Three rolls of toilet paper, that's one more roll than last month's box, and a pair of sunglasses so your eyes don't burst into flames when you finally decide to look out the window. Be sure to sign up by the 19th to get this month's shit in a box. Okay, uh, to do. I got a few other stories I could do. I guess I'll just start running through them and sort of see where we're at for time. Figure out where to cut this off. Sorry about that. I'm gonna have to put a little edit point right here. i Had to go put my son to bed. Uh, despite having to go to bed at 8 o'clock every night, he acts like it's brand new every day, and every day it's a fight to get him to go to bed. Uh, if I showed up every day to work and just threw a fit, I don't want to be at work right now. I would be fired in a week, uh, but I guess you can't fire your kids. So anyway, next story, Bobby Leach, not the dude from Mad TV and Tiger Belly. That's Bobby Lee. I'm talking about Bobby Leach and Bobby's story. i The best thing to compare it to would be an astronaut dying in a car wreck. A person achieves something so hardcore only to be taken out by something so mundane. Bobby Leach was the second person to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. They called it a barrel. It looks more like a metal tube or a space coffin. Like when someone dies on the, you know, on the USS Enterprise, they'd shoot the body into space in something like what his barrel was. Uh, but he was the second person to do it, uh, being beaten only by Annie Taylor. And that lady has a story all her own. If, you, if you've never heard of Annie Taylor, look her up. It's kind of interesting. On July 25th, 1911, he goes over the falls in his barrel and spends six months in the hospital recovering from the injuries he sustained. Two broken kneecaps, a fractured jaw, and more. And if you look at the picture of his barrel, you can see it. There's a giant dent in the bottom half of the barrel where his legs would have been. He hit something during the process, fucked up his legs. A former Barnum and Bailey circus performer, Bobby was no stranger to stunt work, and often boasted to customers at his restaurant that he could do anything Annie could do better. Well, he couldn't, Annie didn't break half her body, and she, she came out covered in blood, but she didn't need six months in the hospital. However, she didn't get the fame from her stunt that Bobby got from his. He spent years touring Canada, the U.S., and England, telling the tale of his dare and showing off the barrel. He was a regular on the vaudeville circuit. In his 60s, Bobby returned to Niagara Falls intending to swim the rapids as his next stunt, but he couldn't pull it off. He was older and the rapids were too strong for him to handle. All practice attempts resulted in him having to be rescued by Canadian daredevil William Red Hill. In 1926, Bobby was on a publicity tour of New Zealand, where he slipped on an orange peel and broke his leg. It's believed that the previous injuries from the Niagara Falls stunt had weakened his bones, which allowed his leg to be broken so badly from such a simple fall on the sidewalk. The broken leg got infected, gangrene, and I see this a lot in my research from the show. Before penicillin, everyone that ever got any cut, scratch, Any kind of injury that opened the skin seemed to have died from a gangrene infection. It's another one of the reasons I am so glad I was born in the modern era and not a 100 years ago. I would be useless and most likely dead at my age. I would have cut myself doing something stupid like making straight razor pinwheels to play with or something and died when my arm rotted off. Bobby Leach slips on an orange peel, breaks his leg, gets gangrene the infected leg had to be amputated now this man is almost 70 years old and getting a leg amputated in a time when most people would die from far less just wasn't wasn't that good for him within two months he died having succumbed to complications related to the amputation he was buried in new zealand and you can visit his grave at the hillsborough cemetery in auckland it's just so weird. You know, like I said, it's like an astronaut going to the moon, coming back and dying in a car wreck. This guy went over the most hostile terrain possible, not, not any kind of land, like short of climbing Everest, going over Niagara Falls is probably one of the most dangerous things a person can do. He did it. He got jacked up doing it, had to spend six months in the hospital, but he did it and then gets taken out when he slips on a sidewalk. What else do we got? Uh, Let's see. This one happened in the summer of 1985. A man drowned at a pool, which happens for some people, unfortunately, like myself, are shit swimmers and drown when they get in water. However, this guy, Jerome Moody, died at a pool party for lifeguards who were celebrating a drowning-free pool season. Double irony. Someone drowned at a lifeguard pool party no drownings. Uh, New Orleans. Jerome Moody, 31 years old, was found at the bottom of the deep end of a New Orleans Recreations Department pool after a party. Moody was not a lifeguard and was at the party as a guest, but there were four lifeguards on duty in addition to at least 100 of the 200 guests in attendance who were certified lifeguards. He was found fully dressed and had not been seen swimming, but the autopsy did confirm drowning. So it wasn't like he was murdered and somebody dumped him in the pool. He drowned there. Investigators' best conclusion was that he just fell in and no one noticed. It was a party, lifeguards on duty probably weren't paying that much attention, and in the deep end of the pool, it's a little harder to see what's in the water. So, dude slipped in, nobody noticed, he drowned, surrounded by at least 104 lifeguards at a party, to celebrate no one drowning that summer. Next on the list, Zisha Breitbart, strongest man in the world during the 1920s. Uh, There was a movie kind of based on this guy, Invincible was the name of the movie. But in reading this story, I found out that a lot of that movie isn't necessarily fact. They sort of indulged and changed things to make the movie more entertaining to watch. Uh, but it was about this guy. So he's the strongest man in the world, uh, and the title gave him the fortune to travel the world and put on performances where he could—he would carry baby elephants, rip steel sheets, uh, he would have bulls walk on him, stuff like that. You know, uh, just another day at the office lifting cars with ten people inside. And during one demonstration, he was driving metal spikes through one-inch-thick oak boards with his bare hands just, you know, he put the spike between two fingers and just punched the board, run the spike through. Well, one of the spikes went into his knee, and as we were just discussing, when you got a scratch or a cut or a stabby wound back then, what happened? Infection followed by amputation followed by death. The wound became infected, which led to blood poisoning, and despite ten surgeries, which included amputating both legs. Breitbart died in October 1925 and is buried in Berlin. It's said that he was the man who inspired Simon & Schuster to create Superman. Or, if you're a Goldbergs fan, I suppose you'd pronounce it Superman. Batman. Superman. Anyway, that's the story of Zisha Breitbart, assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. I research a lot of facts, but I never... I guess I never stop to think, well, how is this pronounced? I just freeze up and mess it up while i'm recording mel Ignatow, in 1988 kidnapped raped and sodomized his girlfriend brenda while having her tied to a glass table and cutting up uh, cutting her up along the way just throughout the course of the evening she's tied to the table he's doing psycho bullshit to her and slashing on her while he's doing it he was acquitted of her murder due to some Double Jeopardy loophole, despite the fact that there are even pictures of the torture like on file. They found pictures later, two rolls of film, a handyman of some sort found him in the floor of his house and took him to the cops. But due to some sort of legal loophole, he got off on Double, Je- Double Jeopardy. Uh, he did get five years in prison uh, because he was charged with several counts of perjury. They couldn't convict him due to double jeopardy, but they could convict him for lying in court at the previous trial. He got out around 94, 95, and got to live. Man, he just got to be a free person, doing free people shit. Got to go on living life like nothing happened after what he did to his girlfriend. But justice is served. September 2008, he was found dead in his home, having fallen through a glass table, which shattered and cut him up. There was a blood trail found indicating that he was trying to crawl to somewhere, the kitchen or his bedroom, to call for help, but he bled out before he could do so. I'd say serves him right. 1871. I'm just running through the other stories that didn't have enough information to sort of make a whole big story, but we got some time to kill, so I'm just going down the rest of the list I had. 1871, Clement Vallandigham, a lawyer. He's defending a man against murder charges, and his defense for his client was that the victim had not been shot by his client, but rather had shot himself. Clement was demonstrating to the audience how the victim may have shot himself when, guess what? Clement shot himself right in the courtroom in front of everyone, here's how I propose he did it. Blam! Shoots himself in the stomach. He didn't know the gun was loaded. It shouldn't have been loaded, but it looks like it had never been emptied from whenever it was confiscated by police, it was just left the way it was. Uh, And he died the next day due to swelling of the abdomen. Uh, However, his argument was strong enough to get his client, Thomas McGeehan, off the hook for the murder charges. So it worked. His batshit crazy defense, oh, he didn't shoot him, the guy shot himself. Uh, I guess people bought it when the lawyer shot himself. Kind of in vain, though, uh, McGeehan would be shot to death in a bar four years later. And finally... Jim Fix with two X's. Jim Fix literally wrote the book on running, titled The Complete Book of Running. This guy pretty much single-handedly started the fitness revolution in America. Uh, He was a 215-pound, two-pack-a-day smoking desk jockey who got in shape, lost the weight, stopped smoking, and popularized the sport of running. Sounds good, right? The, the dude was living a crappy lifestyle. He pulls himself up by the bootstraps, gets healthy, starts spreading the words to other—sorry, uh, to other people. You know, he he really taught Americans about health for the first time. We're talking mid '70s to mid '80s before we really knew much about health the way we do now. You know? When kids could still smoke and no one really said anything. Sadly, all his effort was for naught. Little did Jim know that one of his coronary arteries was 95% blocked, with a second one being 85% blocked, and a third one being 70% blocked. On July 20th, 1984, at the age of 52, he went out for his usual run, and that was the day his horribly clogged heart gave out. The man who wrote the book on running died of a heart attack while running looks like that's the end of uh the end of the list i had there for ironic deaths um sorry some of them were kind of short i tried to stretch it out as long as i could um really interesting though even without a lot of backstory to the people these things happen to it's it's always crazy to hear something like this i mean that gary hoy thing where you ran into the window and fell out that to me that's bonkers, you know. and there really is no better definition of irony than the Segway owner driving off a cliff on a Segway. So what did we learn? Uh, don't drive a Segway near a cliff. Don't run into the window if you don't want to fall multiple floors to your death. Don't bite into headphone cables while you're sitting naked on a prison toilet. And don't own any glass furniture of any kind. Common sense, it will end up broken. Also, probably best to make sure a gun isn't loaded before you point it at yourself. In kind of in a way, a lot of these people could have won a Darwin Award, or at least should have been nominated. But uh, that's episode five of No Better Death. Isn't it ironic, don't you think? Thank you for tuning in again. You have no idea what it means to me to see the numbers for the show going up. My goal is to hit 100 downloads or streams in the first month. And as of today, I'm sitting at about 90 or 95 already. And we still have like five or six days to go before that first month is up. Uh, We launched September 9th. 6th, September 6th. Uh, so October 6th. It'll be a month I've been doing this. Uh, shouldn't have any problem hitting a 100 downloads. And that's all thanks to you guys. Uh, the website is nobetterdeath.info. All the links to everywhere the show is. Is there on the site. Stitcher, SoundCloud, MixCloud, iTunes, blah, blah, blah. Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, Instagram, whatever. Wherever. Just look for No Better Death or go to nobetterdeath.info. And please, uh, I know you hear this on every podcast you listen to, and it's because it actually is kind of important. If you would be so kind, leave a review on iTunes, at least click some stars, do something. Uh, It helps get the show ranking up more visible so more people can find it. Uh, And Don't forget to sign up for Shit in a Box to get all your shit in a box. Oh, and I did want to, uh, wanted to give a shout out to some podcasts that I listen to. Uh, nothing's paid here. Shit. Half of these people probably don't even want me speaking their name for all I know. You know, just a, if, if you're out of podcasts to listen to, which I assume you are, if you're tuning into me, you're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. They're like, mm, I need something to listen to what, what's going to kill the last 45 minutes of my shift. Um, Spotify has really become my place for listening to podcasts. I used to go to each podcast's website, but that just got to be too unruly. Spotify really helps me access everything all in one place. Again, not a plug for Spotify. Just telling you how I do what I do. Uh, Some good ones I've been listening to lately. uh, If you're into murder, true crime, paranoia, conspiracy theory, uh, the paranormal, stuff like that. Like the darker and weirder aspects of the news, you know, Um, keep it weird is a good one. That's why we drink. Uh, Obviously, you know, about last podcast on the left, Uh, you know, about my favorite murder. Uh, Dan Cummins. Time suck is a good one. Give me murder or give me death. Uh, There's one called that's weird that I listen to a lot. Two Girls, One Ghost. Uh, if you like creepy stories, creepypasta type stuff, the No Sleep podcast is good. That's a good one to just put in when you just sort of want to zone out to a story like somebody's reading you a book. Uh, and if you're into to just comedy, you know, the, the paranormal and murdery stuff aside, uh, some good comedy ones are Mormon and the Meth Head dumb people town. And probably my favorite right now is Dino and Dana's safe space featuring Dana Snyder, who you may know as the voice of Master Shake. So if you need some podcast suggestions, there they are. You can find them all on Spotify. Uh, Until next time, I am Sick Grayson. Try not to die.